and welcome to another Dairy Dialogue podcast, which is airing over Easter weekend, but being put together a day or two early because of the holiday. Having said that, Easter isn't a holiday for everyone, I appreciate, and even in countries that do observe Easter, it varies from four days off to no days off at all. Even here in the UK, it varies depending on which country you're in, so it's different in England and in Scotland. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and I'll still be working, not that I'm trying to get sympathy. I do know farmers don't get to take days off just because everyone else does, and they definitely deserve our respect for the number of hours that they put in. Today on the show, we have two interviews, not the usual three, for a couple of reasons. The first is that two companies, who shall remain nameless, said they'd set something up and then didn't. But the other reason is these interviews are slightly longer than usual, so you're not getting shortchanged. And besides, it's a free podcast, so you can't get a refund anyway. We already had an Easter theme a couple of weeks ago when we featured cheese Easter eggs. And I did think about holding that one until this podcast, but then anyone hearing about it wouldn't have time to order one, or several, before Easter. So I decided to run it in plenty of time for listeners to try and find one. Today on the program we're taking a look at three trends that have been observed so far in 2019 by Maxim Foods in Australia, and we'll look at the global launch of CowAlert for researchers from the Scottish company Ice Robotics. And we have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with INTL FC Stone, although this week, because we're preparing this a day early, it will be a six-day look at the global dairy market. I'm sure no one will notice. Alright, and so to our first interview, and it's with Catherine Malcolm, Research, Sales and Support from Ice Robotics, a company based just outside of Edinburgh in Scotland, about the company's CowAlert for Researchers, which has been described by the company as the single solution for daily cow monitoring and research. And rather than me attempting to explain it, I'll leave that to the expert, and I first ask Catherine for a little background on the company. We've got quite a small company based just outside Edinburgh, South Queen's Ferry, and we've been supporting animal science research since 2002. Our ICE tag was the first accelerometer-based, lead-based animal behaviour monitoring system, and that was launched in 2005. Um, and we've worked really closely with the research community right since the beginning. We work with 98 research institutions globally, and there are currently 145 peer-reviewed papers published from projects using our sensors. We're quite pleased with that for you know a little company of just about 30 employees just outside Edinburgh. In 2010, we looked at what, you know what could we do for commercial farmers. So we took the ice tag and we developed something called the Ice Cube. And where the ice tag is a really detailed sensor, it gathers data 16 times per second and gives you per second granularity. The ice cube is four times per second and bundles that data into 15 minute blocks. And we discovered that that level of data is sufficient for the commercial dairy farmer and we could apply some algorithms to that and give a, a really good behavior monitoring system for the dairy farmer. And we started off as a, it's a modular system and we started off with heat alerting. But we're now looking at how we can then look at the animal's behaviour and welfare and health much as anything else. So we're, we're now looking at disease detection. So can we find a way to identify lameness before there's any actual clinical signs? So we, we have a whole team of developers and we, you know, as I say, the animal science community work with us, you know, even on the commercial side. 
So we've been selling the, the Cow Alert system as a commercial system since then, but we've always at the same time still had a research co community in, uh, at the, the side of that. But obviously for Cow Alert, the detail of Cow Alert is all graphs and it's made to be easy to use for the farmer to give them alerts on a daily basis, hourly basis, whatever they need to look because it's stored in the cloud. But for our research community, we've, we've never been able to sell it as a, a system that they could use as well. So now we've got Curlert for researchers, which is the detail behind the algorithms and the graphs that the farmer sees. So the difference with that is that the researcher now has control of all the data that they've got on the farm. So we, we have um, research institutions having Curlert commercially on the farm and running it like any other commercial system. But we can then have the researchers back at head office just logging into the, the website and because it's cloud-based and it's securely stored. It's permanent. It's there forever. They can look at the data from today, yesterday, last week, four, five, however long years ago that they want, and compare all that data along with everything else. The other benefit is that they can actually download that data so they can take it out compare it with other information they have. They can look at feeding, bedding, you know, even years later when they know more about the animal when she's even less the herd, that we can look at her lifetime using cow alert and all the other information they've gathered. So for us, this is it's quite a big game changer. And as far as we're aware, no one else is, is offering anything like that from you know, sort of animal or cattle beef behaviour monitoring systems. And effectively, it can transform the way that we, we do dairy research, really, if, you know, without having the researchers to spend months, years gathering the data then mining all that data, that data is all being gathered anyway. And if you can tap into all of that that's already there, there is no limit really to what you can find out potentially. In terms of ease of use, is it something that's relatively easy for researchers to access and to be able to utilise? Yeah, everyone has a, a web page and it's a modular system. So you choose, like any other web page, you choose the modules you want. So we have a module screen and you know if you've chosen Curlet for researchers as the module that, that you wanted, it's just very basic. Our research community are used to our reporting features on our standalone PC-based system. So we've just really taken that and added that as a feature of Curlet. So they just choose the level of report that they want, choose all the animals, choose one animal, choose how many animals, a group, put in your date ranges and then the report is generated. So they can, and the thing is, they can look at it themselves, they can email it, they can export it out, they can really, it, it's their data. And that's the, the massive difference for us. Before, with our research system, they always owned and could manage that data. When, when it went into the cloud, they couldn't get it back. Now, Coalette for Research will give them the total management of their own data to, to do whatever they like. Is it something that's relatively easy in terms of upgrading? Yes. As I say, because it's modular, the way CowAlert works is you, you choose the module and you pay per month. Normally, black commercial farmer would apply what they wanted. So the same feature will be given to researchers. The research community tend to buy things more in a sort of bundle pack. So it will be a, a year subscription you will purchase. Obviously, that would be of more sense to the research community anyway. So it will just be added to the CowAlert screen and you've got access to that data. And we're all quite used to paying things on a sort of subscription-based system, you know, nowadays anyway. So it kind of fits in quite nicely with what we're used to. And this is now available globally? Certainly, yeah, because um, Cowalert is web-based and, you know, we've got so many customers throughout the world, it should be very easy just to, to upgrade the customers we already have. 
And actually, at the moment, some of our research customers anyway are receiving this data as a sort of manually generated report from our in-house staff. So the difference will be for them, instead of waiting for us to produce a report for them on a monthly basis in arrears, they'll have daily instant access to the report as and when they require it. Once it's activated on their website, they'll have access to all the data from as long as they've ever used CowAlert. So not just from the day you've bought the module, the data is there and it's yours and the door is open for you to analyse it and use it as you want. Would it be just English only or is it customisable in terms of language as well? Yeah, we, we do have versions of CowAlert for German customers and we've had it in Dutch as well for our Dutch customers. So, yep, you know, potentially we can we can change it as required. Are you working on other products as well or are you focusing on CowAlert right now? CowAlert for researchers is, is a, a really big one for us. I mean, the, the other big advantage is that we could actually then look at changing, you know, CowAlert isn't just for cows. We can look at using CowAlert, the CowAlert system and the the whole way that the system works for calf monitoring, for example, where for researchers, they, they don't need the modular the modules that we have with CowAlert, but the, the CowAlert for researchers data is absolutely sufficient for everything that they'll need with calf research. And, and actually, we have some customers who are using it in exactly that way. So that's another avenue that we can then look at. And, you know, we can then look at possibly other species as well, you know, how we can, as long as we can make the, the data fit what the needs are, which is what we're, we're more looking at. If, you know, what, what does the researcher need and how can our system be adaptable to suit that? And then we've also got a, a new sensor coming out later this year for the research community, which combined with Kilolet for researchers will give them a, a bit more new products to, to deal with. Um, and then you will have a, an ice cube for smaller animals and, a, and a, an ice cube for longer studies and, and the Kilolet system on, on the side of that as well. So that would be good. The dairy industry isn't just based on cows. There's sheep milk, goat milk, and there's so many different species, as you mentioned. Exactly, yeah. So there's potential anywhere that, that, that's interested in the data that we can get from the ice cube sensor of the, the standing and the lying and the, the lying about information and, and what, what we can use that for and how we can relate that back to the animal's behaviour and then potentially welfare implications. You know, Kilowatt should be able to do that because the system just really needs some, you know, the, the sensor on the leg, some hardware to take the data from the leg sensor and put it in the cloud, and then the the data is there. So we can either analyse it through the Kilowatt algorithms if that's what you need, or Kilowatt for researchers will give you the data behind the algorithms and let you do what you want with it after that. So we're, we're really quite excited as to, to where this could take us actually and you know the applications for it. Really just trying to get a feel for you know what people would like to do and can we then adapt our system to make it fit their needs and, and that's really what we're all about at the moment. So it seems like you're going to be quite busy then for the next little while. <laughs> <laughs> we hope so. We've been quite busy and we're quite excited to, to bring this out. And yeah, we, we hope it's, it's going to be a bit of a game changer for researchers. And now it's over to Australia, to Maxim Foods, where David Borton works in procurement and sees all the latest trends in the dairy industry. David's come up with three hot trends so far this year, and rather than spoil it and tell you them all, I'll let David explain it. But first, I asked him if the company follows trends closely. We're a dairy ingredient 
business and uh, and I suppose that covers a whole range of end users from sort of chocolate, biscuit, bakery, you know, yogurt, uh, pre-prepared meals. From that point of view, uh, we've got a whole a whole range of end users as well as that nutritional side of the business. So your WPCs and your WPIs and your lactoferrins and lactoperoxidases and colostrums, etc. So, and that goes into a whole other you know, range of, of customers, whether they be pharmaceutical or, or infant formula customers. So you're crossing a fair spectrum of, of the food industry, I suppose. So it does give you a, a reasonable look at, at what some of the, the trends are that some of these categories are heading in. Yeah, I suppose because you, you, would, you would obviously know what your customers, or do you always know what your customers are using your ingredients for? Oh, Jim, we, we try to understand that as best we can, just depending on whether we've signed non-disclosures, et cetera, will we'll depend on how much information they're willing to give us. However, we try and go as deep as we can, absolutely, in um, you know assisting them in formulating their finished products. We've got technical resource, et cetera, where we, we try and work extremely closely with them. So that, that is the objective. Does it always happen? No, but we, we certainly try and head down that path and partner with them as, as best we can um, to understand that and, and then also just assist with that functionality side of it. So you, you're not really a, a research company but in terms no. of market, market research, but you, you are kind of a market research company because you see what, what's going on, I guess. On the, on the ground, correct. correct yeah, correct. it's kind of an interesting place to be because you can see all those trends as they're, as they're happening. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. And what, uh, you know, the samples they're requesting and, uh, you know, do, do you have a, a goat milk powder or do you have a, you know, um, obviously the, the plant-based proteins uh, are, are trending and, uh, and will continue to trend and grow. And um, you just get a, you know, a sense, I suppose, of, of what our end users are, are requesting or, or looking to, um, you know, that vegan side of things, the gluten-free side of things, kosher, halal, organic. So some of these things are hot and cold and they trend and then, you know, grass-fed. Can we have a grass-fed milk powder? Can we have a lactose-free milk powder? So there's a there's a whole range, I, I suppose, and um, sometimes they come in waves and sometimes they're, you know, a little bit sporadic. Do you produce the products that you sell or how does that work? Jim, we don't. No, we, uh, we procure them from around the world, but predominantly our, our domestic business is domestic uh, Australian business and New Zealand, and we do a little bit of export, but not, not a massive amount of export. And um, we buy Australian, New Zealand, uh, US and European products. So that's anything from cheeses to butters to milk powders to nutritional milk powders. Okay, and, and in the press release that came out about the trends, you mentioned protein mm. as one of those big trends, I guess, yeah. with, all the, with the dairy that seems to fit. Correct. And I think it's just sort of grown and grown and grown. And as consumers become more conscious of protein intake and uh, how much you need, uh, etc., and they're looking for other sources um, rather than the traditional sources of protein and obviously it's a marketer's dream in that they go and um, put protein into a, even a cereal or whatever and they market it as a, a, a high protein you know low carb or a high protein less sugar 
we know that in particular from a dairy point of view, some of these meal replacement products, uh, the aged care sector, definitely growing in terms of, you know, uh, an easy way for the elderly to get nutrition in via a liquid form or some of these drink type applications, even right down to toddlers, to, you know, adolescent drinks, um, we're starting to see developed. And a lot of them around the, you know, the milk protein concentrates, the whey protein concentrates, the whey protein isolates, which are all 80 plus percent protein. And, uh, it's just a matter of formulating those into a, a drink bars, so the, the actual bar production and, and fortified protein bars is a, another sector that we've seen grow significantly. And, and as far as dairy is concerned, obviously, as you mentioned, it's not only a good source of protein in that respect or can be used in that way, but I think it's also something that consumers recognize. It's, it's a known quantity. That's right. I think that they associate pretty high nutritional benefits with a dairy source. And, you know, I'm not super technical, but um, our technical team talk about the, you know, the the long chain amino acids and uh, the slow release protein. So, you know, the body might use a soy protein over a period of, you know, an hour or so, whereas a dairy protein, the body will utilize that source of protein over five to six hours. The functionality and the quality of the protein from a dairy source is, um, well, one, it's expensive, but two, it, it actually is functional for the, the human body. The other one that you mention in the this press release is um, coffees, butter coffee and cheese mm. coffee. I must, I must be mm. completely out of the loop because I've never heard of either. <laughs> oh, man, look, I, I think that, Jim, I, um, and, and you wouldn't track dairy prices either, but... Uh, butter around the world and i think i can track it back to about seven uh, might be seven odd years ago but it didn't kick off as such then but um there was a time magazine with a block of butter on the front of it and that had an article around the health benefits of dairy fats and in particular butter and uh from there i think that there's been a fair trend globally to get away from some of these plant-based palm fats and margarine type fats sunflower oils etc and head back to a butter dairy fat you know we've seen a lot of manufacturers head away from veggie fats back into to dairy fats it does come at a, a cost but that flavor profile and um people perceiving it to be good for them again um, has basically sent demand outstripping supply for probably the last three to five years and uh, we've seen extremely elevated uh, butter and, and dairy fat prices for for a long time to the point where I think the French couldn't keep butter on the shelves for a period of time you know trends like topping up your, your coffee with a, a dollop of butter you know and even using some of these uh, cream cheeses and that Asian taste profile is, uh, is different to the Westerners and uh, they're starting to, to use dairy in unique ways in teas and, and coffees as well. So, you know, various mascarpones and a whole different range of, of dairy cheeses into, you know, yeah, mainstream type tea and coffee application. The other one that you mentioned in there is flavoured butters. They do seem to have, have taken off in, yeah. in some places. What's the yeah, story for those? I, I, I think it's more so around, once again, just trying to, you know, probably uh, from a marketing point of view, jazz up a, a category or, 
you know, we've got a, a product that lends itself to being uh, what we call clubbed or reprocessed with a flavour. And, um, you know, I think that probably the basis of it is just a, a straight garlic butter onto a, a, a herb bread or um, a garlic bread. But uh, I think that that's been taken to the, the next level where, you know, there's a whole range of various flavours and natural flavours uh, being used and, you know, various herbs being cut through it. Yeah, we've seen all sorts of, of different products coming onto the market and in particular boutique pack sizes. So, you know, whether they're you know, 100 gram rolls or trying to make it that home, that farmhouse type look like they've been made at home in a cottage. But mate, yeah, definitely uh, both in a retail and a food service point of view, um, starting to see some some trends uh, heading in that direction. Smoked flavours, yeah, all sorts. I think that this has also been driven by the last my comments around since that Time magazine article, butter being good for you. So I think that people have gone, oh well, you know, we've seen our consumption of butter or butter sales rising. Why don't we? Why don't we look to to, to jazz up a, a growing category? I suppose. Are those would those be things that would be for like just home use on toast or for culinary use in cooking or how Both. would they? Yeah, yeah, and in particular, like even flavored butters for rosettes, just to put on a piece of steak, like a pepper butter. Oh, there's, we've seen all sorts of things. Pre-prepare, pre-packed meats like pork with a, a, a butter, a flavoured lemon butter medallion or apple butter with it. Those are really interesting trends. And I think that some trends have actually become completely mainstream, such as things like clean label. And there's some really neat things being done in terms of full traceability back to farm and, um, you know, scan the can and meet the farmer type thing. So... You know, you basically, you've got a, a paddock to plate type traceability system um, right through. That, that That's certainly uh, been a, a trend for a while and will continue to grow, I think. And now it's time to get a weekly look at the global dairy markets with INTLFC Stone's Liam Fenton. It was a very quiet week for butter this week from a volatility perspective anyway, where quarter two is still at the 4275, 4300 level and quarter three is still around the 4450 level and futures. Spot butter uh, still around the 4000 level as well and, and quarter three has been trading at around the 4250 level in, in physical supply. So futures continue to pay a premium uh, as trade appears to be heavy on supply and end users are happy to pay a premium in futures to ensure cover for the summer in light of the last uh, two years price action. Skimmel powder continues to be well supported in futures, even though this might not be obvious in the price changes um, in futures where prices are only marginally higher. Quarter two continued to trade around the 1990 level and skimmel powder in quarter three was slightly higher at the 2050 level. Demand seems to be both from trade and end users. Whey has also traded again in size and futures for the back end of the year at around the 825 level, which is a bit of a premium uh, to physical supply also. That's great, Liam. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. 
And that's it for another Dairy Dialogue. Next week we will have a preview of the ever-popular VitaFoods event, which is coming up in Geneva, Switzerland, very, very soon. Dairy Reporter will be at the event, and if you want to meet up with us there to do an article for the website or the podcast, feel free to get in touch with us, although I will say the slots are filling up quite fast. I'll have more details on that next week when we have our preview. And so, until then, talk to you next week, and thanks for listening.